Gospel of Matthew, chapter number two, number one, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Are you desirous of Jesus in your life? Are you willing to seek him out, to know him in a greater way? You see, these three men, when, when Christ was born in that manger in, the, in, in Bethlehem, remember we said God opened up the heavens and the angels came to the shepherds. And the shepherds went and they found Jesus and they worshipped him. And then they went out, the Bible says, and proclaimed the news. Remember we had said that last week. We had the shepherds who came and God just put within them a fire and a desire to go and take the gospel to the people around. So remember we said last week that the gospel was going out, the good news that Christ the Messiah, the King, was born. So the word was out. And remember also that we said that Simeon and Anna, after a, a little while, that Mary and Joseph and the babe went back to their home, and they were in the temple, and in the temple we said, remember Simeon inside the temple declared that this was Christ, the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. And remember, who got up and preached the first church service? It was Anna. Remember, it was Anna. She followed right after Simeon, and it says that she spoke, she preached about all these things concerning Jesus being the Messiah and the Christ. So the people outside of the temple heard, and the people inside the temple heard. They heard it from Simeon. They heard it from Anna. Those who were established in the, in the faith of that time. So the word was out that Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was born. But what happened two years later, up to two years later, a year, year and a half later? Where was Mary and Joseph? They were in their home and, and Jesus was there with them. But there were no news reporters around. There was no nothing happening around that scene. Because all the news had kind of just been hushed over and everybody was about their old routine of doing everything. And Jesus, the Messiah, was kind of forgotten and left to be raised by himself, by Mary and Joseph. And it was a quiet scene. But back in the East, when God had opened the heavens and spoke to the shepherds, there was a, it was a supernatural time. And somewhere in the East, these three men of, a, of importance, of prominence, of wealth, had seen a supernatural sign in the happen over Jerusalem. And they inquired and they knew that, that a king of the Jews, a Messiah, was to be born in Jerusalem. And when they seen that, they began in, in a journey from the east over to Jerusalem. It says here, where is he? When they came, their question was, you see, they traveled, they put... And when they had seen that, they knew that it was a supernatural thing, that something from heaven was, was, had taken place. And so they packed up gold and frankincense and myrrh. They packed up the best things that they had and they began a journey. They weren't going on a journey, uh, you know, just with a few eye toothbrush and toothpaste in their pocket. They had, they knew that they were going to meet a king who was a supernatural. And so they packed up all this gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they began a journey to Jerusalem. Now, on their way, they must have thought that 
there that who was born was the king of the Jews. We know that. And when we get there, surely there's going to be all kinds of activity in Jerusalem about the Messiah, about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, about him who was born, Jesus. And so they make their journey. And when they get to Jerusalem, they start inquiring, where is he? the king of the Jews that was born. It says here, their question was, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? They didn't ask, hey, who was born? Was it a, who was he that was born? We've seen a supernatural sign, a star. They didn't ask who. They said, where is he? Where is he? They come knocking on the door. Where is he, the king who was born the king of the Jews? It wasn't a question. It was, where is he? And they thought, they thought that they would receive an answer, a quick response. Oh, the king, he's over here. He's in the temple. He's uh, he's over here. Uh, people were going, huh? Who? What? The king? Who? They, I'm uh, sorry, I can't help you out. You know, they were, they were going. They were inquiring, where is he? The Bible says, where is he? The born the king of the Jews. And so that they were sure, they were sure that they would find him. But they didn't find any answer to their question. You know, there's more ignorance in the world about concerning Christ, who he is and where he is, than we think. And even in the church, we think that some people who are in the religious realm would lead us to Christ, but even them don't know how to get to Christ, where he is, and how to have a relationship with him. So you see, when the Magi came, they were, these, these are three men, they were expecting a response of, I'll show you where Jesus is, I'll take you to Jesus. And there's so many people in life today that have that cry. Can you show me? Can you take me to Jesus? Can you lead me to the one who is the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Can you show me? Can you lead me to him? And can we? Can we take someone and bring him to the feet of Jesus and say, yes, I know where the Messiah is. I know him who you seek. I know where he's at. Let me lead you to Jesus Christ. You see, they were, they were seeking him, but there was no one to lead them to, to, to the Lord and the Savior who had come. And so we need to be ever ready to take someone and lead them to Jesus because there are people out there in the life around us, in the workplace around us, in our life, our neighbors, our friends, those who we come across every day who are journeying through life looking for, for someone or someone who can take up uh, the cry of their heart and we need to be ready to say I'll let me lead you to Jesus to the King of Kings him who was born the Lord of Lords and so we need to be ready the Bible says in the Gospel of John he came to his own and his own received him not but see that's bad news the bad news is <clears throat> he came to his own and his own received him not that's not good news is it that's bad news it brings sadness it weighs the heart down to know that to his own he came and his own received him not. It's like going to your family, you know, that's saying, hey, I received Jesus in my life, and they receive you not. Isn't that, isn't that sad sometimes, right? Doesn't that weigh you down? But it says, but he always follows up. God always follows up the bad news with the good news. Now, now the, the bad news isn't in the Word of God. The bad news is in the response of the people. The good news is always in the Word of God. And it says, but... As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. These three men had no question who he was and who he was born. They wanted someone to take them to him. And so the Bible says that those scribes and Pharisees, those people living in Jerusalem, 
who did not even receive him, who did not even know that he was there, even though the word went out through the shepherds and through Simeon and Anna, the word was the word was out, yet the people didn't want to receive that word to his own he came and they didn't even receive him. But these three men desired to come. You and I went and sought him out and received him into our life. And you became the sons, the children of God. And so we see that there is a seeking, that a desire to seek Jesus, to know him, has to be in your heart. And when they came, <clears throat> it says, For we have seen a star in the east, and are come. They came with a purpose. They came with a desire in their heart. They already had it planned out. That we want to meet with Jesus. And when we want to meet with Jesus, we don't want to just throw questions at him. They didn't come with a list of, of, of spiritual, religious, or worldly, kingly questions. They knew he was a king, but they didn't come with a, a petition, a list of petitions, or uh, saying, you know, try, let's, can we uh, work this out? Can we uh, get into a good a relation with each other? But it says, if they said, we came to worship him. The Bible in Exodus 24, 34 says, Thou shalt worship God and God alone. You shall worship, the Bible says, no other God. And the, the word worship, where it says that we are come to worship him, the word worship means, it doesn't mean to sing a song. You know, when we in church, we, we kind of uh, get come to a, 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 an understanding or thinking that worship is when we sing songs. Worship is not about singing songs. Praise is, is praise and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are things that take what God, who God is and what he has done. And we declare them. We praise God. We sing the praises uh, through the hymns and through spiritual songs. We sing the praises of God. But worship is not a song. You don't have a worship song in the sense that you listen to the song and you worship God, worship goes beyond the singing of a song. It helps to bring us to the place that we need to be. What place is that? Worship says, the word worship means to prostrate oneself, to lay yourself down before the Lord. And it says, that is the word worship. We have lost a lot of the meaning of what worship is. It's a beginning means to prostrate or kneel or lay down before the Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, I want to just read these to you. It says uh, when Jesus was out uh, in the desert and the Satan came to him and he said, and, and Satan said to him, all these things will I give you if, he's talking to Jesus, he says, if you will fall down and worship me. You see, to worship someone requires that you prostrate or fall down or bow before them. And if you don't bow or prostrate yourself before them, you're not worshiping. That's not a sign. When you stand in the presence of someone and you're, you're, you're resistant to, to, to bending your knee, then you are not ready to worship that, in the, that, that person. And so the devil said, Jesus, bend your knee to me, prostrate yourself and worship me. And I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus says to him, he says, uh, Satan, get thee, be get thee behind me. It says, because God only shall you worship and him shall you serve. 
you bend your knee and prostrate yourself to God and God alone. The Bible says there can be no other gods before me. And so the Jesus, the, the devil tried to get Jesus to bend his knee, prostrate himself. And so we see that, that Satan knew, because Satan was the worship leader at one time, and we'll talk about that one day. But he was given, put out of the kingdom of God. He knew what worship was all about. That's why he said to Jesus, fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all these. And Jesus said, no, wait, not going to happen. Not one time. Not one time. And so we see that Jesus rebuked Satan when Satan asked him to prostrate himself to worship him. We see in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And the people believed that when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed themselves with their head and they worshipped God. We see that in the Old Testament, the people, when they heard about the good things of who God was and what he'd done, it says they began not to sing songs, but they began to Singing songs is good. Don't get me wrong. We need to do that. But it says they bow themselves down and bow their head and worship before the Lord. We see the devil tried to get Jesus to bow himself down and worship. The people, when they heard the word of God, what was their response to the good news, to the word of God? They heard it. They received it. They thanked God and they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. We see Moses. In Exodus 34, 8, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. You see, Moses, when he knew he was in the presence of God, said he made haste. He didn't think, should I, shouldn't I? He just said, I know I got to worship, I got to bow down and worship before God. Moses bowed down and worshipped before God. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18, Jehoshaphat. And I'm giving these to you because I want you to see and hear from the Word of God how many times and in how many places people bow down and worship before the Lord. It is a requirement we're going to see that we need to, in true worship, bow down before the Lord. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. You see, in the Old Testament, in those days, these men, Lucifer knew it, Satan knew it, you know, Moses knew it, the people of God knew it, Jehoshaphat knew it, all the people with Jehoshaphat knew it, that when they were going to worship God, they needed to put themselves in a position of humbleness, in a position of acknowledging that God is a supreme being. He is not a man. He is not a king of the earth. He is a king of kings and a lord of lords. And when you're in the presence of a holy and an awesome God, there's nothing left to do but to bow down and worship for before him. And we've seen in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, the unclean spirits. You know who the unclean spirits are? They're not angels of God, holy angels of God. Unclean spirits are demons, devils. Who, uh, who have sided with Satan, who were booted out. A third of the angels were booted out of heaven, and, and they were their, 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 their fate is sealed. Them, along with Satan, will one day be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone to be sealed forever. But the unclean spirits, when they seen Jesus, it says, when they saw him, unclean spirits, who will not receive the truth, the word of God, who will not serve God, they resist God. They, they try to come against all the workings of God. But 
when they saw him, when Jesus came in, when they came and uh, the presence of God came into their midst, what did they do? Did they raise up spears or, or spiritual weapons to come against him? It says the unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him. The devil and demons cannot stand in the presence of God. They cannot stand in the presence of God. Why would you want to side and work, have demons in your life when they cannot stand in the presence of Almighty God? They saw Jesus and they, they bowed themselves down and they cried saying, Jesus, you are the Son of God. They had to acknowledge it. They had no choice. They had to acknowledge it. In Daniel chapter 3, remember when Nebuchadnezzar built that, that tall 90-foot uh, statue, and he says, all right, when you hear the sound of the psaltery and the harp and all that, all this there, it says, then you will fall down and worship. You see, it was very clear. There was no doubt, ifs, ands, or buts about what worship, how the posture of worship was. It was in getting down and prostrating yourself, bowing your head before God. And we know that it says it several times through Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, but I am not going to bow down to your statue, to your God. And we should not bow in this life to anything. We should not bow to money. We should not bow to uh, anything other than to the Lord our God, our Savior. But whatever it is in our life that tries to get us to bow to it, we've got to say no. I bow to God and to God alone. I bow to no one else. In Romans 14, verse 11, it says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, every knee shall bow. You know what every knee means? It doesn't mean one knee. This knee is going to bow too. Every knee will bow. God says someday every knee will bow before me and every tongue shall confess to God. When you bow before God, your mouth has to confess, He is Lord. He is my God. You are Lord. You are my God. You are the potter. I am the clay. You are the shepherd. I am the sheep of your flock. When you bow yourself before God, your mouth has to uh, confess who He is. He's greater than you. He is God. I'm His son, His daughter. And so it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I want to read to you from Isaiah. Again, I want you to hear the word of God concerning this. Isaiah chapter 45, and you can write these verses down. Tell ye and bring them near. Let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Listen, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. Boy, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall answer. The Old Testament and the New Testament declare that one day every knee will bow and acknowledge God. Satan, the unclean spirits, every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth, every living thing will bow before God and confess. Their mouth will confess 
that he is Lord. God doesn't want to wait to that, want us to wait to that day when our knee will be forced to bow before him. God wants us to willingly come into his presence and acknowledge him as these wise men. They came with a desire to find Jesus so that they can worship him. And our desire needs to be, I want to get into your presence that I can worship you, Lord. And I willingly today bend my knee before you and worship you. Because the day is coming, if you don't bend your knee in this life, the time is coming when God will cause you to bend your knee. And he will cause your mouth to open and sing praise. But it may be too late to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. The Bible says, you know, uh, again, it says here in Ephesians 3.14, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians chapter number 2, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him, Jesus, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, listen to the word of God, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth. The living, the dead, those who, who appear to be dead to us today, the living, the dead, everything will bow its knee at the name of Jesus and confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to see from the scriptures, from the word of God, Pastor Al isn't telling you this. This isn't my doctrine. It isn't my thoughts. It is the word of God that says worship consists of us, men and women of God, bowing down and acknowledging him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. When you do that, it shows that you acknowledge and in humility and in that humbleness and reverence that you acknowledge him to be God and Lord. It's not singing a song so much. It's bowing your life and submitting yourself to the Lord, to the King of Kings. And we've seen several times in scriptures where it says every time, one day, whether you want to or not, God will make you bow. And I pray that we do it willingly. And we don't have to stand where God makes us bow and God makes us confess. We need to do that today to acknowledge Him. It says that we came to worship Him. And you know the word worship, we said this uh, in previous Sundays. We said that, the, and I love this, the word worshiper means a temple keeper. You know, the Bible says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temple keepers. We are worshipers of the living God. And as a, as a temple keeper, we must guard that no one, no thing, that nothing comes into this temple at the time when we are to worship God. Because nothing, we should let nothing distract us from bending our knee to worshiping God. It shouldn't be fear of people. It shouldn't be, what are people going to think about me? It shouldn't be anything else. We should be guarding our temples and saying that I'm a temple keeper of this. See, you're not my temple keeper. No one here is my temple keeper. And I'm not your temple keeper. I'm a pastor who's preaching the word of God to you to help you get into that place where you can receive from God. I'm not your temple keeper. You're not my temple keeper. We are each our own temple keeper. And as such, we have to make sure that in our temples, 
we make room, we make place to worship God. That we say, temple knees, you're going to bow and worship God. And it has to begin in our heart. If our heart isn't right, if our heart isn't after God and wanting to worship God, our knee isn't going to bow. But when our heart is right, and our heart says, I acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord as these these wise men did, they came with a purpose, and they knew that when they found Jesus, they were going to worship before Him. They were going to bend their knees and worship before Him. And in there's a biblical warning to us about being free from improper worship. In Colossians chapter 2, and uh, the Message Bible is a Bible written by a pastor in today's language that tries to stay as close to the original as possible. And I want to just read this to you from the Message Bible, Colossians chapter 2. So don't put up with anyone pressuring you into details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All these things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. There are a lot of hot air, and that's all that they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of light, who is Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head, and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. You see, some people think that they can tell you when to worship, how to worship, what to do, stand up, sit down, whatever, do this, do that. And the Bible says don't get caught up in, in, in doing something out of what man tells you to do. We have to do things from what our heart says is right to do. And when your heart tells you it's time to worship the Lord, then it's time to worship the Lord. If a man tells you to get on your knees, you can get on your knees, but was it done from your heart or was it done to obey a man? We can't obey a man in that sense. We have to obey our heart. When it's time to worship, if your heart says yes, and which it should, Whenever it's time to worship, there should be no reason why your heart says, no, I'm not going to worship now, I'll worship later. But when we come into the presence of God, but what I'm saying, a man or woman can't rule over your life telling you when to worship and when not to worship. When you should be, we should be worshipers all day long in our lives, in essence. So, and it says here that don't listen to men. You see, remember when uh, the shepherds, angels appeared to them? Remember we talked about Joseph, angels appear to Joseph many times, but we cannot get into the realm of thinking that we need to worship those that were sent by God, whether they be angels or whether they be men. And we have to have that warning, God gives us a warning, that be careful you don't worship angels or men, even though they're messengers sent by God to you with the word of God. You don't worship the messenger. You worship the one who sent the message. You worship God and God. And the warning here is that don't go seeking to invoke angels or anyone else to get a vision of what you should do with your life. You, you seek God. You seek the face of God. And when you get yourself in worship, 
God will drop into your heart and into your spirit what he wants you to do. Your vision comes from God in your time of worship. It doesn't come from prayer saying, oh, Lord, let an angel appear to me so that I can have a vision and, and get direction for my life. And when the angel shows up, you worship the angel. You don't do that. And the Colossians warns us. You see, in, in, we can't worship men in, in, the, in the book of Acts, chapter 10. Cornelius, who was a, an Italian... And he was a he was a good man. He was he was desirous. It's the truth. It's the truth. Amen. And Cornelius was desirous. He he wanted to be right with God. And God uh, gave Cornelius a vision or an address. Spoke to him and says, "Call for one Peter, and Peter will come, and he will tell you what is necessary to be saved." And so he sent for Peter. Peter was known to be an apostle, one who was a, a, you know, to lead him to Christ. And when Peter came in to Cornelius, met him, it says Cornelius fell down at his feet to worship him because he was a messenger from God. He was gonna, Peter was gonna lead him to Christ, you know. And it says, Peter says to him, he took him up and said, stand up. Don't worship me for I'm just a man. Peter was a messer. He had the word of God. Peter could lay hands on people and miracles happen. But Peter said, you don't worship me. No matter what you see or hear about me, don't worship me. Don't worship a preacher. Don't worship someone on TV. Don't worship someone that you see miracles and things happening through. Don't worship a man. Worship God. Peter says, don't worship me. Cornelius, I'm just like you. God may be using me for a different purpose right now than he's than, than someone else, but don't worship me, worship God. And so we see the Word of God tells us, don't, let's see, Cornelius, he knew what it was to worship. He fell down and bowed down before him. And Peter said, get out of here. Stop that. You're going to get me in trouble. Stop that. Don't you worship me. You know, you worship God. And we see it time and again in Revelation, where it says in Revelation 19, John, I mean, John, he had some visions. And he, woo, what God showed him in Revelation was incredible. But in chapter 19, he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell, John, I, John, fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See that you don't do this. I am of thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, he says. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of property. And again, in Revelation chapter number 22, it also says, John, when I heard these, I fell down before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things and began to worship him. And the angel said, John, get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. So we see the word of God says, be careful. Don't let anyone deceive you that you do not worship man. You do not worship angels. Although they're messengers with a powerful word from God, you don't worship them. You bow your knee to the the one who sent the message, to God, to Jesus. And him alone, as Jesus said to Satan, worship God alone, and him shall you serve. So we see clearly that the Bible is telling us as these men came, they fell down to worship him. We need to do that, to find Jesus and to worship before him. And it says uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, 
And when they were come, the, the three wise men, when they were come into the house, they were seeking Jesus. And they had a purpose. That when they found him, they were going to worship. And it says, when they came into the house, Jesus wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the manger. When they found him, when they finally found him, when they finally found someone who could point them to the right direction, to say, all right, I, I know where he is. When they finally found someone to lead them to Jesus, they went into a house. And it says, you see, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. But how many know you don't have to be in church to worship Jesus? How many of you know that you can worship Jesus in your home, in your car, wherever you might be, you, you're, you'd be, you can worship Jesus. And so here they went into Joseph and Mary's house, into Jesus's house where he was growing up. And it says there they worshiped him. See, they had first, they had the desire to seek him. They didn't care where it was that they found him. Wherever it was, they were going to worship him. They weren't, they weren't afraid or ashamed. And so it says, and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. You see, their heart and their soul was right. Now, I want you to catch what they did. They sought him. They had a desire to seek him. And nothing was going to deter them. They, they made diligent inquiry. Where is he? Where, I want to know. Where is, where is he? You tell me where he is. If you don't know, tell me who knows. They made a diligent desire to seek him. And when they, when they found him, they fell down and they worshipped him. Right? You see what they did? What did they do after they worshipped him? You see, they didn't find Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, I brought you gold. I brought you frankincense. And I brought you myrrh, the best that I have. The first thing they did, they kept their treasures packed. The first thing they did is they laid their lives down before Jesus and worshipped him. After they worshipped, after they got up from worshipping Jesus, then they opened up their treasures. And then it says they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, when you worship God and you get up from worship, when you had a worship experience of acknowledging God to be your Lord and your Savior, the one you were seeking after, the one you have found, the one you have now experienced being in his presence, now when you get up from that time of worship, you are not hindered, you are not afraid to unpack the best that you have and give it over to the Lord. They took that gold. And gave it to the Lord. And you know, gold, we know what gold is. Gold speaks of our money, our wallet, our pocketbook. And if we're not, uh, if we are hesitant to give to God of our gold and our silver, have we had a real worship experience? When we worship God, we're not afraid to give and sow into the kingdom of God richly and abundantly. Because we know that the one who we found is our Lord and Savior, our provider. He'll take care. All the silver and gold is his. Jesus didn't need that money. He was, he was, a, he was a babe. But Joseph and Mary, who was his family, needed that money so that they can take care and see that God could do all he needed. They needed that money to journey, didn't they, as it came out to go to Egypt. And, and that money preserved them. When you sow into the house of God... You're sowing to Jesus, to the gospel. But who's taking that money? Did Jesus put that gold in his pocket? 
Jesus, Mary and Joseph had that money and they used it to, to keep, uh, to take Jesus where he needed to be, according to God. And when you sow into the church, it's like giving, you're not giving the money into the hands of Jesus who has all the silver and gold, but he knows that those who are walking in this life with him need it for their journey so that they can take the gospel of Christ and go wherever God wants them to go with it and to, to proclaim it. And so they gave, they sowed their gold into Joseph and Mary and said, whatever is necessary for Jesus' sake, here it is. See that all is met. So when they sowed, they didn't ask Joseph and Mary, all right, what are you going to do with this money? Tell me how, how you're going to spend it before I give it to you. They didn't say that. They just said, here, here's the, here's the gold. It's a gift for Jesus, for the gospel of Christ. And so when we give, do we give thinking, ah, I wonder what they're going to spend the money on. I wonder what they're going to do. We give it and God sees it and God knows it. We sow it into the kingdom of God and let God be the one who directs and makes the fruitfulness come forth out of it. And so they were, they gave their goal to Jesus. They gave their goal to Jesus. And when you're not afraid to give of your finances to the kingdom of God, God has your heart. When you think, ah, I should give two, but I'll give one. God doesn't have your heart. You can give a dollar and, and that dollar will become fruitful for the kingdom of God, but will it become fruitful for you? When we give, we have to give according to our heart, the Bible says. And when our heart is coming out of worship with God, we will hold nothing back from God. Now, I'm not talking about emptying everything out. If God tells you to do that, you do that. But you give, you know, what's in your heart to give into the kingdom of God. And secondly, it says that they gave frankincense. Frankincense is a sweet fragrance that was used in sacrificial offerings. And I'm not saying that this is what it means what those things symbolized or stood for, but we can get from the scriptures a good picture of what God is trying to say. Why did God put it in the Word of God? Because it's, there's something for us to learn from it. There's something for us to glean from. Frankincense was used as sacrificial offerings. And we know that in the Old Testament they gave animals. And now we know that in the New Testament God doesn't want us to give animals. What does God want us to give? God wants us to give ourselves, our very being. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is not unreasonable. God is not uh, somebody who stands up there demanding this and demanding that. God is a reasonable God. And God says, I want you to give yourself to me, your very body. From your head down to your toes. That includes everything. Your fingers, your toes, your feet, you know, your mouth, your eyes, your ears. You give that to me. God wants you to give him, in worship, reasonable service of yourself. God is unjust and he's not unrighteous. He's a righteous God and it says that he wants your reasonable service. Isn't it good when somebody's reasonable with you? It's hard to deal with an unreasonable man. Do I get any amens? It is hard to deal with someone or negotiate with someone who is unreasonable. And God says when you come to him, he is not unreasonable. So why are you afraid to go to God and give him your life? He's not unreasonable. We think, oh, if I go to God, he's going to send me to the, to the, to the pit of Africa and I don't want to go there. And God is not unreasonable. He knows who you are, what's in you, what your composition is. If God wants you to go there, you go. He'll make you go. 
But God is not unreasonable, so we don't have a fear of coming to God. You know, the Bible says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind to know that God is reasonable, that I can go to him. Because Isaiah says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. God is concerned about people. And he says, come now, listen. Come now and let us reason together. Come on, we can work this out. It doesn't have to be a burden to you. We can work it out. All I need is reasonable service from you to take care of the widows, the poor, the fatherless, to take the gospel out. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's a reasonable father. He's a reasonable God. And so when you come to God and lay down your life, you don't have to be afraid. God isn't going to burn you out. Man will burn you out, but God will not burn you out. God wants to take you and bring you into reasonable service. God wants you to live your lives healthy and refreshed in every good way. And so he says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. Wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. You see, the Lord says, come on, reason with me. I know you sinned. I know your sins are like scarlet. But look, I'll clean you up. I'll cleanse you and make you whole. And I'll satisfy you with good things. That's what the Lord says. And so why are we afraid to bow down and worship and say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. I give you my life. I submit to you, Lord, all that I am. And everyone, every man, every woman who's laid their life down to God and said, here am I, they never regretted that moment in time. They never regretted their walk with the Lord. And worship is us getting down before the Lord saying, Lord, all that I have is yours. All the silver and gold that I have, I have by your gifting and your ability. And my life is not my own. Here am I. What can I do in reasonable service for you, Lord? You tell me and speak to me. You see, it says, give unto the Lord the glory through his name. Bring an offering. We can't go before the Lord without an offering of our life, of ourself. And bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Listen to this. Philippians tells us, he brings that out a little further. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. How many of you have a bank account? If I said to you, uh, I want to make a deposit in your bank account, how many of you would say, uh, don't worry, no, I don't need it, Pastor Al, you don't have to make it. How many of you would like a deposit in your account? Amen. Right? And so we have an account with God. And so God desires us to come to him and give him our life, not that he needs it, but he wants it so that he can make a deposit into our account, it says. And he says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received he goes on from us, well, please. But he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, God wants to deposit into your account, into your life account, both now and in the kingdom to come. Because Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Submit yourself to me. Give me your reasonable service. Worship me. Bow down before me, and I will give into your account. I want fruit to come out of you. 
I want to make fruit come out of your life. And it'll be deposited into your account. See, God is a wonderful and a good God. We have no reason not to bow our knee to him and worship and give him all that we have in all areas. And it says they opened up to him myrrh. And I want to just say this. Myrrh speaks of, of bitterness. We go through life and we, in life, we come up with hurts, suffering, and dying. And God wants to take our hurts and our sufferings and he wants to uh, give us that balm that will heal us. So as we bow before Jesus and we give him our hurts and our pains, our sufferings, all that we have, and he takes those things. And the Bible says he makes beauty out of ashes. How many of you have hurts? Don't raise your hand. Have hurts or, or pain or brokenness, broken hearts, and, and you struggle with it. God says, just give that over to me. And he says, I'll make beauty out of ashes. Myrrh was a principal ingredient in the anointing oil. And it was a sweet perfume. It was something, a sweet fragrance. And like Jesus said, that he'll give you beauty for ashes. You submit yourself, lay your life down, hold nothing back from the Lord. And the Lord will take you and make something beautiful out of your life. And I want to just take this time. Psalm 95, verse 6. It says, O come. And let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's Psalm 95, 6. And I want to take that verse and keep it before us throughout this year. Where it says, oh come and let us worship and bow down. And so as we close this morning's service, I pray the word of God has gone into your heart. And I pray that God will seal it in your heart. The best thing I can tell you as a pastor, as a preacher, as a man of God, the best thing I can tell you is place yourself in the presence of God and worship Him. I can preach great sermons or whatever, and those are good. It's all good and necessary and needed. But the greatest thing I can leave with you is to know that the number one thing of our life is to get into the presence of God and worship Him. And God will take us from there to every good and perfect place. And the abundance of heaven will be manifest in your life. And the joy of the Lord will be full in you. So may uh, this year, if the Lord should tarry, find us in ever-increasing measure in that place of worship. Amen.